You're listening to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life with Dan Simon. I have a consulting practice that is is truly has, as I've reached the stage of midlife, is really capitalizing on the things that I love to do that I know I'm the best at. And so my consulting practice is called Community Without Borders. And I've worked most of my life as a communicator and a, a teacher trainer. So whether I'm writing books or articles or blogging for the Huffington Post as I did in years past or working as a live corporate trainer in experiential training um, or being an innovator in the virtual space as I have done for about the past 10 years. I have constantly been poking and exploring at new and interesting ways to bring people together and to take something that seems sort of stuffy and formal and to break it down and make it feel a lot more like a cocktail party or a dinner table gathering. And literally something stopped me cold in my tracks and I turned around 108 degrees and walked back into the conference. And I had been sitting up in the balcony the whole time being a little bit of a wallflower. And this time, for some unknown reason, ship was just about to start, the doors were closed. And I opened the doors and walked through 300, 500 people all the way down to the second row for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Mm. <laughs> I just was sort of directed and plopped myself right smack in front of Chip uh, in the second row. And I was astonished um, as he started chatting, he started talking about, we don't have any rituals for moon life. We don't have any real rites of passage for this age. And he coined this term modern elder. And I was sitting up in my seat, my headache was gone, my exhaustion was gone, I was on fire. Going, oh my God, I found someone. Um, I had been interviewing thought leaders in aging around the world. I had interviewed over a hundred thought leaders in probably 50 countries um, who all shared some expertise in aging and longevity. And I had yet to meet anyone who was looking at this more archetypal, esoteric side that spoke so profoundly to me and I knew to so many others. I was staring out at the ocean and I said, I don't know, Stephen, if I ever get into another relationship at this point in my life, it's going to be with a beloved or nothing at all. And as soon as I said that, um, it was, this bird flew right into the portico window and suspended itself in midair. It was like 10 times the size of a hummingbird. This big bird stopped and just suspended itself and looked at us. It was so dramatic. We literally stopped all of our conversation. Welcome to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life, a podcast about people's personal journeys of discovery and recreation. I'm Dan Simon. We dig deep to understand the essence of each guest. How did they get to this point in their life? We all have stories to tell about our own lives that help the rest of us realize who we are and what we could become. As a life coach, I've always been intrigued by the stories people tell. What were the trials, tragedies, and triumphs they encountered while navigating through life? There are no mistakes in life, only experiences and lots of contrast. If we can have compassion for others, can't we have the same for ourselves? That's always been my personal mission, to remind people the truth of who they are, to remind them that they've done their very best. In each episode, that's what you'll find, a beautiful soul doing their best to create a life that's fulfilling and rewarding. Today's show is about love, connection, and community. Our guest is a very unique soul that is an expert on all of those topics. She's undergone some amazing transformations over the last few years for herself that you'll hear about. She's been on a mission to understand longevity and aging. What does it mean to reach the second half of your life and be able to regain a sense of vitality and to reclaim the archetype of the wise elder in a changing world? You'll hear how her life changed when she met Chip Conley in his mission to create the Modern Elder Academy in Baja, Mexico. She's just published her latest book, Becoming Beloveds, with her partner Stephen, which is a beautiful example of how to reach a higher frequency and vibration of love. Welcome, Carrie Henley, to the show. Thank you so much, Dan. Pleasure to be here. First question I have for you, uh, inspecting your uh, uh, social media and Facebook and your website, you seem to be smiling all the time. Where? <laughs> Not seem to be, you are. And my question is, where did you get that smile? 
Oh my gosh. Well, uh, my mom will take credit for the orthodontia that went behind that. <laughs> I think the smile just came from how I entered this world. I, I've always had, uh, you know, I've just always looked at the brighter side of life and I'm not one who holds on to things much. So it just seems much easier that way. Well, it might be much easier that way, but it's very, uh, it's kind of rare. You know, you can tell when people smile a picture who's genuine and who's smiling for the camera. And uh, when somebody has that kind of a smile that's just genuine and natural, you realize there's something behind that that goes far deeper and it's, uh, it's worth noticing. Well, thank you so much. That's wonderful to hear. It's a reflection, I think, of the people in my life that bring that smile out. So tell us a little bit to start out with about uh, your upbringing and, uh, and uh, uh, any drama, any challenges. Uh, how was your early life? I grew up in a suburb uh, outside of Denver in the 70s and 80s uh, in a very kind of simple middle-class family and uh, grew up in that era when kids were running around all the time with very little supervision. <laughs> so that was that kind of free-spirited life and childhood that um, I had coupled with being a latchkey kid taking care of my brother and learning at an early age how to cook dinner for the family and pull the weeds and scrub the toilet. So, um, you know, we had a pretty strong work ethic drilled into us growing up. Um, and always there's, of course, dramas along the way, but I think those created a certain sense for me of, of independence and um, resilience and capability. And I was always a, a bit of an old soul as a child. At, at age 12, I was reading, you know, books like Gandhi's bio and uh, books about uh, um, Siddhartha and uh, poetry and was curious about spiritual life and would check out different churches and didn't quite know what those meant. I was looking for some spiritual meaning, even as a young person. So... Um, I often felt sort of isolated growing up. I always wanted to be older and probably kind of had this existential <laughs> sense of wasn't really sure what I was doing here. I felt like I had a purpose, but I wasn't sure what or how to execute it. So that was a, that was a pervasive feeling I had for, for quite a few years as I was growing up. That's interesting, Carrie, because, you know, the, the lesson we usually get is growing up is, how we're supposed to fit in. And when you're, you know, well beyond where other people are and you're not interested in fitting in, instead of interested in finding what's, what suits you, it's, uh, <laughs> that can be frustrating, I would imagine. It can be challenging to figure out what works best for you when, uh, uh, when you have uh, so many influences that uh, tell you you should be a conformist. That's right. <laughs> Yep, society loves to do that. So branching out or striking out and following a, a particular mission or path, I think, is often challenging when you're younger and you're facing that desire to fit in, be accepted, and choose that pathway wisely. So if you could describe for somebody you just met your life with only six sentences, what would the six sentences be? Wow, that's a fantastic question. Turn, I turn my brain into like a big puddle. One, I suppose, would be I have known from a young age that I had a mission to bring people together uh, and to learn about connection, community, and love. I am someone who's always living in the future. I spend very little time looking in the rearview mirror. It's almost as if I've put tape on the mirror. I just won't look back no matter what. Um, one of my core strengths is is that of kindness, and that has been part of my life that has been both a I found this the greatest strength and the greatest teacher uh, as I've grown. Number four. One of my greatest gifts uh, in my life has been a, being a mother. I have four children, and they are each extraordinary little beings and creatures, and have given me amazing gifts of learning how to um, love and live ardently and selflessly and deeply. I, uh, I deeply treasure the community and friends that I have in my life. I always uh, find that I am a 
gatherer and, and love that role of gathering those that I love together, whether it's simple potlucks or virtual gatherings or corporate work. Um, it has been a natural since I was a teenager with two phones on both ears, calling everybody up and putting some gathering together. I have a deep, profound uh, love and appreciation for um, rituals and ceremony, and they have been a very big part of my life uh, throughout my adult life, whether it's Native American spirituality or creating my own. Um, it, is, it is one of the ways that I can make sense of, of different transitions or peak experiences in my life is through creating rituals. Great. Those give us a lot to work with. Thank you for those six. Um, if we looked at uh, the mission of bringing people together, which is obviously a vital one because in today's world it's pretty divisive, um, how do you apply that in your life? Well, as a mother, I've always been the mom that has a fridge full of food and an open you know, comfortable but not perfect house that people could just come in and I'm known as Mama Carrie. And so that side of my life is just the one that loves to nurture and, and feed and create comfortable places to be. Um, I think that desire to make people feel comfortable and welcome and safe and seen is part of what drove my professional life. I'm the most satisfied in my work when some aspect of that is engaged. So if you'd like, tell our audience a little bit about what you're doing now. You have a, a variety of things going on I'm aware of. Yeah, sure. I have a consulting practice that is, is truly has, as I've reached the stage of midlife, is really capitalizing on the things that I love to do that I know I'm the best at. And so my consulting practice is called Community Without Borders. And I've worked most of my life as a communicator and a, a teacher trainer. So whether I'm writing books or articles or blogging for the Huffington Post as I did in years past or working as a live corporate trainer in experiential training um, or being an innovator in the virtual space as I have done for about the past 10 years, I have constantly been poking and exploring at new and interesting ways to bring people together and to take something that seems sort of stuffy and formal and to break it down and make it feel a lot more like a cocktail party or a dinner table gathering. Uh, so that is what I do in my professional work now is I consult with private clients or corporate clients or nonprofits and I help them look at how can they create uh, digital engagement. But in today's world, we are very divided. We often work at home or we have remote offices, we have global offices. Um, and we don't connect like we used to. So I help organizations and, and individual coaches or experts or thought leaders figure out how to use the tools that we have virtually uh, to create that kind of powerful, impactful experience you get from an, a great retreat. Where you go, you show up, you meet people that you don't know when you arrive, and yet when you leave, they feel like deep soul family. Um, I really believe that is part of what we're desperately missing in society. So my work has helped create some of that in, for my clients uh, and their communities. Well, that's fascinating. And as, as I told you before we started the recording, it, uh, uh, my older son is interested in moving from Virginia to Colorado, and uh, and he's pushing for a remote job. And we, we were talking about it yesterday, how how he'll do if he's all actually working all by himself uh, versus not having an office full of people to uh, socialize with afterwards. And uh, But so often that's exactly what's happening. People are more disconnected and uh, in different spots and working virtually and you lose that. So often you lose that human connection for a variety of reasons. So that's, that's awesome that you're working to put that, uh, put that back together in a, in a more natural way. That's, uh, is uh, very sorely needed. I think, you know, it's interesting is that we have a lot of amazing gifts right now that we carry in our pockets and that we use on our, on our everyday devices, um, that we have these tools that allow us the capacity to connect with each other. We can connect with words. We can connect with our voices. We can connect by seeing each other. And yet we haven't used our 
innate um, emotional connection to infuse those tools to bring them to life. And I think that's that is the piece that that once folks understand that it all pops into place and clicks just uh, just like a key in a lock. Interesting. You know, I, I've always had a problem with with uh, texting that people have these long conversations uh, via text that you lose all the emotion, you lose all the nuance and uh, versus at least talking to people or hearing somebody's voice. But so often that's people do what's most convenient and they ignore what might be most effective to actually communicate. And as you said, uh, how do we make an emotional connection? Because it's usually not going to be by text, is it? Well, you know, and it's all in how you use the tools. So I think, uh, you know, a a well-crafted, very sweet, unexpected text that has like a picture of your favorite flower or a sunset and a little quote, you know, something that's lyrical and thoughtful can be, can totally turn your day around and, uh, and give you this sweet little surprise that you hadn't expected. And, and then instantly this warmth from that person who sent it to you. Um, that's how that tool could be used judiciously and in a, right. in a loving and careful way rather than an offhand disconnected way. Yeah, great, great point. Let's talk about uh, your experience. We've both been to the Modern Elder Academy in uh, El Pescadero, Mexico. I was there in 2019, and I've had a number of guests on the show that attended as well. Uh, But you had uh, a very interesting experience when you attended uh, back in 2018. Maybe uh, you can tell our audience about that. Sure. It was a uh, very interesting uh, guided experience, I think, that brought me to that point in my life. So in um, 2017, actually, the end of that year, I was uh, at a pretty significant transition in my life. I had been in a long marriage that was feeling um, like it was ending. And I was having tremendous desires to redefine myself. I was hitting 50 and uh, felt a powerful need to step out of the everyday caregiving role I had as wife and mother and to really focus on this other mission that I had pounding in the back of my mind. And I started my uh, previous business that uh, Community Without Borders had a previous iteration called Age Without Borders. I was focusing deeply in understanding longevity and aging and what does it mean to reach the second half of life. I was somewhat obsessed with the topic actually, and how to regain a sense of vitality and reclaiming the archetype of what an elder, older adult, or wise person could be. I have a master's degree in archetypal psychology, and uh, as I had said earlier, I love rituals and ceremonies, and I felt this sort of huge lack of transition experiences for this time, and this powerful desire to pull people together using virtual tools that I hadn't learned. So I attended a conference um, in November called Aging 2.0, and it was a big mashup of uh, entrepreneurs and tech startups and investors who were all sharing a a general interest in the 50-plus market. And Chip Conley was the keynote speaker at the end of the conference. I had no idea who Chip was at the time. I had actually not read his book, Peak, or was familiar with Joie de Vivre. It was just not in my world. So um, I reached the end of that conference and was just tired as you get at the end of a conference. I'd been kind of poking around. I was there on my own. And I am an introvert extrovert. So sometimes I find these events wear me out after being on for so long. I just wanted to go to my hotel. So I right. left the conference right before Chip's keynote. It was the end. I was tired. I was sort of burnt out. And I literally walked outside. It's in San Francisco. And I was standing um, on the sidewalk getting ready to decide if I should take a walk or go to eat or go take a nap. And literally something stopped me cold in my tracks. And I turned around 108 degrees and went back into the conference. And I had been sitting up in the balcony the whole time being a little bit of a wallflower. And this time, for some unknown reason, Chip was just about to start. The doors were closed. And I opened the doors and walked through 300, 500 people all the way down to the second row for absolutely no reason. 
was mm. clever. <laughs> I just was sort of directed and plopped myself right smack in front of Chip uh, in the second row. And I was astonished um, as he started chatting. He started talking about, we don't have any rituals for moon life. We don't have any, you know, rites of passage for this age. And he coined this term modern elder. And I was sitting up in my seat. My headache was gone. My exhaustion was gone. I was on fire going, oh my God, I found someone. Um, I had been interviewing thought leaders in aging around the world. I had interviewed over a hundred thought leaders in probably 50 countries. Um, who all shared some expertise in aging and longevity. And I had yet to meet anyone who was looking at this more archetypal, esoteric side that spoke so profoundly to me and I knew to so many others. So I sat there and he started chatting about his book that he had written, Wisdom at Work, which was going to be coming out, and then his idea to start a retreat center in Baja called the Modern Elder Academy. And I literally, at that moment, felt this one of those times in your life when you go, oh my God, this is something really important. Pay attention. Something is going to be happening here. This is a turning point. And I knew it. And I wrote in my notebook in huge letters, I will help Chip Conley with the Modern Elder Academy. I'm going to work there. I'm going to do something. I'm going to go there. Uh, it was sort of a declaration. And at that very moment, Chip made a comment that those of us in the audience would like to come and help preview some of his content were uh, welcome to email him. <laughs> and so it was such a crazy moment. I dropped my pen. I looked, picked my head up and looked right at him. I, went, I can't believe you just said that. Grabbed my phone and texted him immediately and made arrangements to come. Um, and, and this I, was this was in 2017. This is in 2017. Right? Yeah. Right. They were just beginning their beta programming. Uh, so I was one of the very first to engage with Chip and... Um, the team, Christine and Jeff, about going. Um, and then I had made arrangements to come in February. So that felt uh, like a nice, tidy, neat little moment that was preparing for my future. And often life has these tricks to get in the way. So at that time, I was also preparing to separate from my husband. And so lots of changes were occurring. And uh, the following month, my eldest daughter, went through a significant health crisis um, and I had to drop everything. I was launching a brand new business, a massive project that I'd spent seven months producing um, in a big transition with my partner and had a huge crisis with my daughter. Um, she became suicidal and wow. we had to manage a suicide crisis for her and move her into um, a really beautiful place uh, for her to recover in Hawaii. And so everything stopped. Er, literally everything stopped. I was with her on the East Coast and we were, it was like being drowned down to the bottom of the river into a mm. huge dark night of the soul. Massive. So um, that was quite a potent time. So, you know, the separation was put on hold. Business was put on hold. Everything was put on hold to take care of her, uh, including going to this modern elder academy that was not possible now for me in February. I had to attend to her sent a note to the team and apologized as if there was another date I could come. And they sent me another date for April. I thought, okay, good. Surely by April things will be settled. <laughs> and then April came and we were just still very deeply in, engrossed in transitions with her and the family. And there was no way that I could go that particular week. It was just an absolute clash of timing. So I was brokenhearted and I was struggling with this very potent time in my life of attending to all of those that I cared about and this desire to attend to myself and to my own soul. So I had to say no a second time and struggled with the implications of what that meant for me and said, is there any other time I can come? And uh, lovely Christine said, yes, if you want, there's one more date in June. That's our last beta date. So that's it. So I said, yes. Okay. Yes. I said, yes. And that was really, I think the lesson is that I just kept saying yes, saying yes to everything, saying yes to those impulses in my soul that I knew this was important for me. And so I kept saying yes. So finally the date arrived in uh, June for me to go. And meanwhile, my daughter was now settled. My uh, now ex-husband and I agreed to a separation 
And it turns out the week that I was going was literally the week I was moving out of my home and 17 year marriage and would be attending MEA. And after MEA, I would be moving into a new home. Uh, so, uh, the term so that, let, let me stop you right there a sec, because that's a comment that that's, that's a tremendous, tremendous amount of stress and pressure and change in a very short period of time, Gary. Yes, it was a it was an intense intense period of time. Every every part of my life was under a spotlight. Um, I mean, I, I can feel the emotion that's coming off of you just retelling the story right now. Yeah, it was uh, it was potent. It was a uh, a moment that just I felt absolutely pushed and compelled to say yes and just put one step in front of the other with no real idea what was going to happen or what would be around the next corner. Um, it was a huge time of trust and surrender. Okay. So you, you finally showed up at the modern elder Academy in June. I did. I showed up and I brought my best friend from high school with me. One of my dearest friends who has been with me through all the ups and downs of life since we were 14 years old. So she came with me. She was also a fan of chips and it was a, huge source of comfort to have her there through this transition time and we had absolutely no idea what to expect whatsoever <laughs> chip was teaching that particular week um and um so it was a powerful time as those who have experienced modern elder academy it's a it's an amazing experience we're very lucky to have chip for the week um and a, a very intimate potent time everyone who washed to those shores was in some sort of transition you know mine was quite dramatic uh, recovering from the stress of having a child go through that level of um, a health crisis is um, hard to describe yeah. how potent it impacts your psyche and your soul. And I had a lot to let go of from that and uh, all that was changing in my life. So I was quite liminal while I was there and just felt like it was a place I could pour it all out and just it was a safe space to let all of that go and and morph into what I knew was coming. And the metaphor of the caterpillar to the chrysalis to the butterfly has always been one that I have loved. I, I ran a conference in my 30s called the Chrysalis Conference for uh, exploring rites of passage for women's lives. So I was very attuned to the metaphor of the this new rite of passage in of midlife and was very much in the goo of the chrysalis. I, I talked about it every single day <laughs> that I was the yeah. goo. I was completely, <laughs> I had just decomposed into something that was not yet formed. I didn't know what the next creature was going to be. I knew a new species of, of Carrie was evolving, but I had no idea who she was or what she was going to look like at that point. And I just needed to surrender to that stage of life that we all go through when we have to break down before we can rebuild. Yeah, and I just have to comment that the, in terms of the experience of what Chip has created at, uh, in El Pescadero is quite unbelievable in, in terms of the care and the attention, but uh, mostly the environment uh, of love and care and around every single detail and it allowed people to um, express themselves and be honest in a way that uh, yeah, for most of us is, is hard to do in your everyday environment. So when you're plucked into an environment with, in my case, 15 people that you never knew before and you're able to just chat about what was really going on in a way that over a long period of time, uh, it was it was quite amazing to witness what happened to uh, so many different people in that environment that uh, that, uh, that wouldn't have happened very easily or at all in your old environment. Sometimes you just have to change things around. So, you know, my uh, my kudos to you and to everybody else and to myself that you decided to show up there because it's not an easy place to get to, <laughs> and for many of us, it's not an easy choice to make to to uh, make the investment in going there. So. Uh, good job. And for you, obviously, it was extra, extra difficult to show up there. So 
continue. Sorry for the I think, Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point, Dan, that uh, sometimes when things are have a struggle attached to it or his effort, there's something even more potent there. Yeah. So, you know, the, the degree that which I had to say, yes, this was an important experience for me, you know, impregnated it with the meaning that it did provide me, that it wasn't just an offhand decision to show up. No, it, it required a lot of perseverance within myself to know that this was something that I knew I needed for me. Yeah. So tell us what transformed, what happened. Uh, uh, during that there. week, uh, there was a couple of little baby stories that I'll tell you that worked that really were impactful at the time that I had no idea uh, would impact me later. Um, one was of the 13 of us on that group, we all bonded very deeply, very quickly. We were a very close cohort um, coming from different walks of lives, but sharing this similar desire to deeply dive into um, this rite of passage. And um, because I was particularly vulnerable, um, I really appreciated the connections with my, my compadres. Um, and so, as you know, you know, the, the flow of the week is you pair up a couple of times a day for kind of lecture learning, and then you sit down with one of your compadres and have conversations, and then we have all sorts of other fun things to do. And on one particular day, Tuesday morning, I was, we had a threesome. So our 13 of us, there was pairs, and sometimes there was a triad. So I was in a triad that morning. The discussion was up on the beautiful portico uh, right on the beach overlooking the water where we got to sit for our conversation. And the topic was something about old patterns that we were letting go of. And um, so my two compadres went first and shared a little bit about letting go of old patterns in business. And, and then one of my compadres, Stephen, said something about letting go of being a caregiver all the time. And having to always put other people first or being afraid to make decisions because it might hurt people that we care about. And I looked at them and I'm like, yeah, same, same. I'm totally in that place too. And share some of my own stories about, you know, this transition I was looking to make in a, in an obvious way in a marriage, but also in coming into my own after many years of motherhood and business. And I was staring out at the ocean and I said, I don't know, Stephen, if I ever get into another relationship, at this point in my life, it's going to be with a beloved or nothing at all. And as soon as I said that, um, it was this bird flew right into the portico window and suspended itself in midair. It was like 10 times the size of a hummingbird. This big bird stopped and just suspended itself and looked at us. It was so dramatic. We literally stopped all of our conversation and we looked at this bird and took pictures of it. And that was the end of the, of the session. And I walked down wow. the stairs thinking, God, why did I say that word? I don't, I, beloved, I haven't, I haven't thought about that word or, or said that word in, in 20 years. Uh, so it was a beat. It was a beat of a moment that, um, that I had no idea would mean anything later, but I, I, it did plant a seed. Um, and then the second story is at the very end of the week, I uh, had a wonderful opportunity to have a sunrise spiritual healing session with a lovely shaman named Saul. And um, those who are listening who experience Saul know what I'm talking about. He's a beautiful, authentic healer and took us up to the mountains. And it was near the end of the week. And I was really feeling reborn. I was feeling that butterfly forming. I was beginning to have a much better sense of who I was going to become. And that strength of her wings and her colors and her ability to fly was just beginning to register in my DNA as we neared the end of the week. So I sat up there next to this 100-year-old cactus named Alfredo and was staring out at the ocean and had a beautiful session with Saul. And he gave me these lovely little rituals to do when I got home to bless my brand new home that we're moving into and little rituals for each of my four children. He gave me stones for all of them. And, and then he held my hands and looked in my eyes and he said, and for you, when you go home, I want you to go get a bottle of honey and take it in a shower. And I want you to cover yourself from head to toe with this honey. And when the shower is all hot and warm and steamy, and, and when you do, I want you to think about all the bees that were flying from those beautiful flowers and collecting that nectar and bringing it back to serve their queen. 
And I looked at him like he had three heads. Like, are you really talking about honey? Like I put my tea in the shower. And he just looked at me and he yeah. said, just do it. You'll see. You're the queen. And so I drove down the mountain again going, whoa, my head just blew up. The queen. Uh, so those two beats became profound in my life as I went home. And I, I did, in fact, take, I'm like, heck, I'll do anything. I came home. I did the rituals. I bought the honey. I took the shower. I figured out what do I have to lose? I am all in. And it was an extraordinary experience. And suddenly I realized I had, I had the archetype that I was looking for for me. It was really about becoming a queen, which was the metaphor for me in midlife of claiming as a, as a female, that voice, that groundedness, that power. And I had a lot of important decisions I had to make when I got home. And that metaphor served me in a huge way. I would think, well, what would a queen do right now? If I was a queen, what would I do? And it gave me this instant congruent sense of power. Um, and so I'm so grateful to those gifts that I received. And I ended up creating a national women's uh, retreat called Becoming a Queen. I brought women together from all over the country and we mashed up all sorts of different tools from Facebook and Zoom and WhatsApp and Marco Polo. And we created this deep network where we all explored that together. Um, wow. So let's go back to Alfredo because it's, that's, and again, we can't give people a sense of it. They haven't been there, but the, uh, the trip and I, I went with Saul in the, in the evening at sunset. Either you go sunrise or sunset, you went in the morning. But the trip to get there is, uh, uh, profoundly difficult in a four-wheel truck to just even get there. It's so remote. Uh, and such an amazing place overlooking the ocean. And it's hard to really describe, but I remember the thing that I learned from him that was most important. He told me a lot of things, but he said, all you have to do is ask for what you want and wait. And then he said, but that doesn't mean you don't do anything while you're waiting. <laughs> do <Right>. something. <laughs> do right. something, but... Mm -hmm. That key, which has always been the issue in my life, is that, that uh, impatience, maybe lack of trust, lack of faith, being in a big hurry to rush things. What was so important to me was that you have to wait, and the universe will deliver what it's going to deliver to you when it's ready, not when you think it's ready, not when you think it's supposed to. But, uh, you know, there's... So many individual experiences that uh, are hard to describe. But uh, so thanks for reminding yeah, me again. Of, yeah, that's a good that. story about that. And, and that's actually a great little segue to the final piece of the story that ties all this together is up there with Saul. Yes, uh, that idea of having to wait and just know what's coming is coming. Um, when I was up there, we, we, uh, it was sunrise, it was dark, but as the sun was rising, I was looking down when we went towards uh, Alfredo, we sat on this rock outcropping where we were facing east to see the sunrise. And as we were hiking up there, yes, it was a long journey hiking up and I, I am a heart rock person. So those who are listening know what I'm talking about. If you're a heart rock person, you know, I find heart rocks everywhere I go. I grew up in, in the mountains of Colorado and I lived on the beach and they just find me. Um, and so I saw two heart-shaped rocks in the ground that were so pronounced. I took my phone out and took pictures of them as we were beginning our journey um, and then moved into meditation. I forgot all about it. And then when I was sitting there with Alfredo, the cactus, which is perched right on the edge of this Baja mountainside, and you're looking out over the Pacific Ocean facing west, um, I was there for a good half an hour um, while I was working with one of my compadres. And... As I was staring out at the water, it was very much of a waiting. Like, I don't know what is coming in my life. I just have to say yes and trust. And as I was watching the water, the foam, you know, sometimes the foam makes images on top of the ocean like clouds. So I was sort of mindlessly watching, and there was two hearts floating on the water that were dark white, and all the other foam was kind of coming and going, but these two hearts were connected and they were floating on top of the water for the longest time. I took a picture three times over the course of a good 20, 30 minutes that I was there, that the hearts would not break. Everything else was kind of dissolving. 
And I remember thinking, I wonder what that's about. <laughs> this is like the last, I have no idea what that means because that is not what my life looks like right now. Um, and they're just little beats. And as I left MEA, um, I ended up taking a shuttle back to the airport with two other compadres. One was this gentleman, Stephen, I mentioned earlier, who we shared that one conversation about relationships. And I, I, I said that word beloved and the bird flew. I had no conversations with him at all the rest of the week. Um, and yet somehow he felt like a mirror to me. And I wasn't really sure why. And we took our bus ride back and we started chatting finally, a chance to connect and get to know each other. And it was a nonstop conversation about life and kids and family and hobbies and esoteric stuff that we both liked and extended into a breakfast at the Cabo airport right up until we had to get onto our flights. We pulled out our boarding passes realizing, oh my gosh, we got to get on our planes. And he was heading off in one direction. I was heading in another and our flights were 10 minutes apart, but our boarding passes had the same gate, which was strange. You can't really have two planes leaving 10 minutes apart at the same gate. Hmm. But we, we jumped up and, uh-oh, shit, something happened in Mexico. We got to go figure out what gate we're in because we're supposed to board in like 10 minutes. So we jumped up, ran to go attend to our boarding pass issues. We didn't actually even say goodbye. And I'm a big hugger person, as you saw from my, the smile at the beginning. I'm a people person and I hug everybody. And I actually never had hugged Stephen. I don't think even once. And, but that's how it happened. So suddenly we sort out our flights and we have to queue up and get on our plane. So we're, we're both in different places going to get on our planes. And all of a sudden, again, I had that moment, kind of like when I turned around to go back into the conference to see Chip. I had this moment that hit me like strumming a guitar. I went, oh my God, where's Steven? I, did, I need to say goodbye to him. I, where did he go? And looking, 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 looking for him with this deep, searching need to find him to say goodbye and I couldn't find him and he couldn't mm. find me either and he had the same sense at the same time of where is she go find her and so the moment was like a Nicholas Sparks I felt like a little girl's ice cream cone drop like oh my god I can't believe I'm never gonna see him again I didn't say goodbye to him and you know okay hopped on my plane and that was that and and yet spirit had other plans that our cohort was so tightly connected. We stayed very tight in touch after we got home. I moved into a new home. I care as caregiver for my mother. Lots of things were changing. And we all connected on Zoom and WhatsApp frequently and Marco Polo. I taught everybody a little app that you could do video messages back and forth to each other. And Stephen and I began exchanging messages about our family and checking in and just a lovely professional friendship developed between the two of us as well as many of the other compadres. And then over time, it deepened and more and more profound connections started appearing in our conversations, um, such that after several months, we realized that there was a profound, deep soulmate connection between us, that, that we, we realized that we had fallen deeply in love with each other before we'd even seen each other or held hands or kissed or anything. <laughs> Uh, and then we ended up finally several months later meeting up and, um, and now 18 months later, we are a deeply committed pair and have written a book together called Becoming Beloveds. Um, and it is a wow. hero's journey, uh, that we were able to capitulate of what it was like for us to reach a much higher frequency and vibration of what love means and how to take that journey to find what the word beloved has to offer as a teacher. That is an amazing story, Carrie. And your book is coming out in March of 20. It's, is correct? it's out. Well, the pre-orders are up. We, we are just sending the book to the publisher right now. We actually dedicated the book to Chip and to Saul <laughs> in our deepest gratitude to them and to this energy that brought us to Baja. And, um, you know, Stephen can tell his version of the story for you at some point. His is equally profound in what got him to MEA. He wasn't supposed to be there that week, but got there anyway. And so, <clears throat> yes, the book is, is now out and available. We named our company Stardust and Honey. Uh, honey from now you guys know the story of why honey was a profound thing for me. And Stardust is profound for Stephen. So we started a relationship development company. We're both entrepreneurs. We both have our own 
work as consultants and thought leaders in our own field, but we felt compelled as a directive to start a company together and to be an example of what we are learning and attract other couples and singles who are looking for higher love to find a forum and a community to come together and explore together. So I think, Carrie, that on our next podcast together, I'd like to explore that in, in more detail because uh, it's very interesting. I read the uh, description on your website of, of the book and um, uh, exploring the six stages of love and the evolution of love through the lens of positive psychology and Maslow's Pyramid of Needs applied to relationships. Just great reading from your website. Uh, I'd love to hear more about that when we've got more time about about the book but um your story is amazing and i just have to point out uh something that's really important in terms of the way your relationship developed which is that you built the friendship first and i've had that experience as well when you build a friendship first before you get involved in the physical uh you have a foundation that's built uh and so often when people in today's world put the physical first and they're always playing catch up with uh, with actually building a relationship but it really sounds like in my opinion that things evolved in the exact right way for you guys to be together and to build something of, uh, of uh, value so great job doing that great job being an example of that yeah thank you yeah it's a virtual relationship so we did require sort of old-fashioned you know, writing and expressing and connecting and the whole nest of tools that we have that allow that, you know, truly to connect deeply with somebody without having to physically be in the same place. So in closing, I want to touch on uh, your number two point, always living in the future, not looking backwards. Tell everybody why that's so important to do, because I think that's an unbelievable lesson for people to uh, and I'll give you my perspective as well, but I want to hear your sp perspective because it's obviously uh, uppermost in your mind about living in the future. So tell us about why that's important. Yeah, you know, for me, it's, it is sort of like standing in the present and looking into the future. And I, I had a profound um, guided meditation many years ago where I was imagining myself flying. Um, and I know you're a pilot and that experience of just flying forward and being in a big transition, this desire to look backwards and being told in this meditation, you can't fly. If you look backwards, you'll turn the plane around, <laughs> you'll crash. Yeah. You can't do it. You have to always look forward when you're a pilot, you have to watch what's in front of you. And, um, and when you're driving, if you turn your head around, you're going to crash your car. You know, you can look back for a second, make sure the coast is clear, but then you got to focus forward so that you can have motion. So um, that to me has been a profound tool. I have had some significant challenges and transitions and changes in my life, as most people have. And I, I just fundamentally did not believe that carrying a lot of baggage around was going to serve me. And... So just fundamentally became a guiding principle that forgiveness for myself or the others in my life and the situations that came upon me made it so much easier to look forward and to just keep moving one step in front of the other, crossing a bridge. And maybe the plank underneath me broke or maybe it's wobbly. But if I stand there or if I go backwards, I'm, I'm going to fall. So the only way to get to the other side is to just keep moving forward one step Time. Yeah, absolutely. And the other way that I look at it is that when you're thinking about what you want to create in the future, what's important to you, you get excited. And mm -hmm. that, the, that excitement that, that you create within yourself draws good things to you because most of us are either thinking about what we don't have today if you spend your time thinking about what you don't have, you're just going to get more of, of the same, right? Or if you spend time thinking about what didn't go right in the, in the past and what was wrong, again, you bring that energy of the negativity. But when you, when you force yourself to be excited about what's possible, because there's, there's not a thing you can change about 
the past and even what's in the present has already been created from the past, right? So that's not going to, no, that's going to change. That's right. It doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, a, a great exercise I've found when I'm really struggling to make a decision, and I've certainly been in places where I've been paralyzed with fear and paralyzed to feel I cannot figure out what to do. <laughs> so that's okay, you know, and I've learned being able to welcome all of those feelings is the best way to allow the brain to practice, like welcoming all the possibilities that we're so afraid are going to happen or welcoming all the things in the past that are paralyzing us and just dump them all in there like a big basket. And then being able to ask the question of, well, what is beyond all that? You know, what is beyond all this resentment? What is beyond all this anger? What's beyond all this fear that's keeping me in this space? And then the brain can latch on to a new possibility. Yeah. What's next? The focus mm -hmm. is what's, what's next? What's good that's going to come? Yeah. So important because and I, and I had another experience, a different experience in the soul with a shaman, uh, probably, uh, only a month before that where I discovered this whole level of fear that I had no idea existed within me. So I think we all get comfortable with things that we've, we've, for whatever reason, uh, we've, we've learned to be fearful of things and we just kind of treat it as it's just this kind of background noise. It's like you're swimming in the ocean, but I, I am, I'm sure that, that for me and for many people, we have all these fears that if we keep, uh, uh, focusing on them, then we can't move forward. So having that ability to just move forward despite the fears, because they're not going to go away by snapping your fingers, but to move forward as you as you did yeah. yes right the obstacle Great. is the way as they say yeah and uh thank you again carrie for the example of following your intuition because all these little touch points you know what would have happened had you not turned around at the conference in san francisco and gone back in to hear chip you had no reason to do it you wanted to get out you were tired but Sasha told you Turn around, mm -hmm. and uh, it's amazing what happens when people just listen and not follow logic, but follow their intuition. And what happens? And your story is an unbelievable story, and I look forward to reading the book as well. But an unbelievable story of of uh, of faith and uh, and strength and trust and power that I think will be a a beautiful example to so many other people. So I, I thank you for sharing it um, with our audience. And uh, I look forward to a uh, another uh, podcast to talk more about the, the findings you've put into the book about uh, love and relationship and community. And so we can talk more about that because the time has just flown by. Yeah, I just want to thank you, Dan. It's such a refreshing um experience to just be very present with you and your openness to allow a story to unfold itself that that to allow the stories that we have within us to just bubble up it's a it's a rare opportunity to have that so um, thank you very much very grateful okay thanks for listening to this is personal rewinding a life if you like today's show please subscribe leave a review and share it with your friends. All of that would be greatly appreciated. You can find me at dansimon.co on Instagram, dansimontv, or Twitter, at dansimontv. Thanks for listening to the show today. New show will be out on Monday. Have a great week.